You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Are you all ready for the word tonight? Would you make Pastor Tim feel welcome one more time as he comes to bring us the word tonight? Hey, good evening. Can you believe this is over with now? What a bummer, you know? And I have bad news. Um, I will be taking the Holy Spirit with me when I leave. How many take the Holy Spirit home with you too? Right? And uh, the good news is that uh, God uses times like these as acceleration points. If you think about it, how many have actually been here Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, and Sunday night? You're just crazy over the top about this, all right? Well, then... You've spent more time in church in the last, what, 36 hours tight together like that than any normal sane person would have, right? And the Bible says whatever a person sows, that's what they'll reap. And you've sown towards the Spirit. You've sown towards your your spiritual life. And you're going to see a harvest in that. You're going to see greater clarity from the Holy Spirit, more help and more grace in those ways. And uh, so it's a good thing. Um, if you just joined us tonight for the first time, we've missed you, but you can hop right on board. And if for some reason you're like, oh, bummer, I was working the last couple nights or, you know, I was in, you know, on the rocket ship in Tatooine or something like that, you can catch it on, um, on the live stream from the church or whatever. I guess the archive now. But I just wanted to say thanks so much, um, uh, to Pastor Donnie and Kylie and the whole team, the tech team's awesome, your leadership here. This is a great church. And um, and we are so excited about what God is doing here. And if you look around, we've got people of every age group. We've got people from all over the place. We've got young. We've got downstairs, man. Uh, we've got our kids praying, seeking God on their faces before the Lord, experiencing him. Kids have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and more tonight. And this is just a sign of health in every way. And I'm so excited uh, for whatever in the world your church is going to be called in the days ahead. I would vote for chocolate church. Is there time before the set and order meeting to get suggestions? Because I like to put that as my official one, chocolate church. All right. Yeah, note it. Okay. And that's a better one. And so I have other great, I'm full of ideas. Some of them are good, but I think that's a really good one. Um, but, uh, but we're excited for what the Lord has in store uh, for you in the future. It's just really, really exciting. I wanted to say thanks to those that have grabbed prayer cards. If you'll remember us in prayer, we've appreciate, appreciated prayer partners so much. Um, there are people that over the years have prayed with us and stood with us, and, and we don't really, aren't even aware of how they've stood with us in prayer, but it makes all the difference in the world. In fact, um, there's kind of a cool story on, on uh, if you get one of the uh, USB media drives, there's uh, one of the video series on there is called Realms of Prayer, and on that I tell the story how the tall guy in the middle, Barrett, um, he was in 2004 briefly abducted on one of our uh, Indonesian mission trips. We were out by the Al-Qaeda comf- uh, 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 training camp in Lombok, Indonesia, and he was briefly abducted there. And at the very minute that he was taken, one of our prayer partners in Chicago got hit with this burden from the Holy Spirit and began to literally stop, drop, and pray 13 time zones, wrong hemisphere, and pray. We found out two weeks later when we were ministering in their church again, and she brought out her prayer journal and go, where were you at this time? I say all that to say that it makes a difference when people pray, and we'd really, even if you don't like us, pray for us, right? Um, 
but we really do covet your prayers. And so um, we have three adult sons. Two of them are married. And so it's just been Rochelle and I now the last couple of years traveling, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And normally within a year, we do about 300 individual services. Um, already this month, we have been in Africa, Kenya, Tanzania. And then we were, where were we last week? We were in San Diego, California last week. And then we're here now. How many of you are here right now? This church pulls really rotten. I've learned that. All right, and then um, and then on uh, this weekend we head to Midland, Texas, which is way out. It's almost New Mexico kind of area out there, and then the next week we're in Jersey City. Um, and so anyway, I hope you'll just keep us in prayer. We really, really covet your prayers. And if you're interested, um, and thank you so much, Pastor, for your kindness. Thank you for those that have felt a prompting to give towards our ministry and towards the bowls. Um, these ministries are not supported by, it's not like down the side of our RV, it says Holy Spirit Conference brought to you by Budweiser or something like that, you know. But it's just been as, as God's people have been so kind. And just like dumb, just like a dumb testimony, but our, our rig is getting ready to hit 20 years old. And God has just kept that thing rolling and has been so faithful. And, you know, you just see the, the help of God and even the logistics, things like that. I and mean, we all face trials and struggles, right? Because we're human. How many of you are human? You still pull terrible. I'm just telling you. All right. But, um, but God has been so faithful. And so should the Lord prompt you to pray for us, we appreciate it. And thanks for anyone that has, has felt led to participate in giving towards us and towards the Bowles ministry. In fact, I hope that uh, if I can lower my voice... I hope that maybe God will move on some of your hearts to really do something extra towards the bowls. Um, their ministry is so effective and so powerful, and uh, you really could make a significant difference. I know they're I know they're facing some vehicle issues right now, and you could really make a difference in their lives. And um, and I I just hope maybe God will put that in your heart to pray and maybe participate in that. But just some really cool stuff. They're the best. Um, I have the privilege in the Assemblies of God of of serving, leading over the 600 plus evangelists in the Assemblies of God USA, and the bulls are some of the best we have. I'm just so faithful and so devoted and so, I mean, if you have kids down there, you know what's going on, and they'd be really worth uh, really worth you getting behind in every way and prayer support and stuff. Anyway, take advantage of the books and stuff back there. There's a, a book that kind of, um, you can, you'll remember it because it's in godly eagles colors. So if you don't know, we have just this last week on, what day did we move in or move stuff? Monday. We moved our stuff after living 25 years in Wichita, Kansas. We have moved back to York County, northern York County. And although we're not really moved in, we're just in a garage right now, but, uh, but it's, it's happening. But, um, and it, I was the only Eagles fan in the state of Kansas. You know what kind of, I mean, I held, I represent it, but it is so good to be. But in Godly Eagles Colors, we have this book called Helping Others Receive the Gift. And this very well may be the most interesting and helpful book on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here for a, kind of the seminar before the service where we talked about ministering the Spirit's power to others, this is in line with that, but it goes a whole lot farther than we can go and really, really helpful. There's actually churches that use this book to introduce the Holy Spirit to new people, but it's also, there's great wealth and riches in here uh, on, on the things of the Spirit. And you can actually grab one of all the books that are back there and one of these media cards that has like, I don't know if it's 25 or 30 hours on the Holy Spirit audio and video. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, how to minister healing, how to flow in the gifts of the Spirit, how to, um, there's even a teaching on here that will, we've had over years, so many people comment on, um, it's on the Holy Spirit Inside series, and it's Holy Spirit Conviction, which isn't probably something that you're like, oh, I can't wait to check out that one, you know, but what we do in there is we show the difference between two things that feel really similar 
And until you discern the difference, it's difficult to live in Christian freedom, and that is the conviction from the Holy Spirit versus the condemnation from the enemy. They both kind of make you feel badly about sin, but one is a dead-end street, and the other one leads you to liberty, and we kind of give you the tools to kind of navigate that. But that's all back there, and there's a special price. If you want to grab one of every book and that, you can be so sick of us, you will have to you know, go to counseling. So take advantage of that um, should it interest you. All right, so our theme tonight, um, let me back up. Friday night and Saturday night, we talked about prophetic ministry, and we kind of started at the wide end of the funnel and worked our way right down to the neck and just just kind of looking at how God wants to anoint us and help us and how we can kind of discern through those things and grow through those things. And I hope God spoke to you in those times. And then Sunday morning, we talked about kind of embracing the Holy Spirit. How many were here this morning? Okay. And so you do poll better. Okay. Wow. That's okay. It's miracles already. All right. Uh, but, um, but tonight, we want to spend some time talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've already experienced this, feel free to kick off your shoes, take a nap, and because you've already been there, done that, bought the shirt, who cares, it's old hat for you, you, you know. No, did you know that being baptized in the Spirit indeed happens at an event, but it's actually a life process of the Spirit for us? And we have a lot of Christians that just kind of barely get over the threshold and experience spirit baptism sometime in their history. And then they just kind of put it in park and they never understand that this is something to be cultivated and growing in their lives and that anointing growing. How many want to be all that God wants you to be? You don't want to be a Padawan anymore. You want to be a Jedi master, right? And God wants us to grow in these ways. And um, it is possible, like some, a brand new Christian can get baptized in the Holy Spirit early and if they really foster that hunger and really grow, they could spiritually mature and operate in a higher level of giftings than someone that served the Lord for 60, 70 years that just never applied themselves. There is limitless potential in the spirit for all of us as believers. And we can have as much of God as we want in our lives. And in fact, right now we do. You have what you have from God in your life because of what you've gone after. So let's go after it. It's Sunday night. I made sure all the mean, judgmental people stayed home. It's just us, God's favorites here, right? And we're going to experience God's goodness. So I'm going to teach for a few minutes, and then we're going to dive into the time of prayer in the altar. And I just want to tell you right out, um, um, I think we know each other already, and, uh, but I would just want to encourage you at the end, if you go, I want to get baptized in the Spirit. The moment we give opportunity, get your carcass out of your seats and come up here. And we're going to pray and receive. Don't dilly-dally around the first person up here that, that, to pray. You get also not only spirit baptism, but you get a new car as well. So not really. That's not true. But, um, but don't wait. Just choose to be a responder to God. And if you're concerned something weird's going to happen, I think you know this church already. I mean, everybody's a little out there. But they're, they're really wonderful. And nothing weird's going to happen. No one's going to manipulate you. We don't believe in that. Instead, we're just going to pray and we're going to see God come and make himself real in your life. Um, some people are afraid, what happens? Am I going to fall over? Probably not. Uh, sometimes we line the altars with banana peels. And, uh, but, you know, if you feel so much power, you can just sit down on a chair. It's no big deal. Just seek the Lord, and let's just draw near and encounter him. And he's going to help us. And if you've already experienced spirit baptism, God has a fresh anointing for you tonight. And let me just encourage you that when you're praying to draw near to receive that fresh anointing, if you've already been baptized in the Spirit, would you please, with all of your ability, pay attention to what the Spirit is doing and saying to you? Because He's always 
teaching us in everything that he does. He's the best mentor there is. And not only will you experience him filling up your tank again, but pay attention and listen and ask him questions, and he'll teach you so you can become more functional on the things of the Spirit. That was a good spot to go. Woohoo, amen. All right, so let's look at being baptized in the Spirit. So we got two questions to kind of start us out. Question number one, um, what could you do for the Lord in your lifetime? It's kind of an open-ended question, you know, and you go, well, you know, anything, right, is kind of the generic answer, but kind of moderate that with your own, you know, time schedules and abilities and pursuits and devoutness and things like that, and the question kind of becomes something very different, doesn't it, you know, well, you know, I mean, I could, theoretically, could do anything, but I've got a mortgage, and I've got kids, and I've got a dog, and you know, I've got a cat, although Christians shouldn't have cats, but I've got, um, you know, I've got, I've got all these things going on. And, and um, so, you know, we, we kind of add, we kind of add our own algebra to this very simple question. So, you know, because how many have found that there's not a lot of time in a week, right? You know, you work and you've got responsibilities and, and so, well, you know, I mean, I, you know, even for many of you, it was a real sacrifice. I even heard some person, one person say they took off work on Friday night to be able to be here. They took a, one of those days. That's huge, you know. Um, but what could I do for the Lord in my lifetime? So think of your lifespan. Did you know that across American evangelicalism, which is kind of where our church falls very broadly, um, it, that the average is that the average Christian will win 0.8 people to the Lord. That's like... 80% of a person to Jesus. It takes one Christian to win 80% of a person to Jesus, right? So kind of, kind of pathetic, right? You know? And so what could you do for the Lord in your entire life? That's talking a lifetime of Christianity. So what could you do? Open-ended question. But it's kind of moderated by all of my algebra and limitations. And don't you kind of insert those in there? That's what everybody in the Bible does. Exodus 3, God goes, Moses, I want you to go stand before, before uh, Yule Brenner and tell him, let my people go, right? And, and, but Moses in Exodus 3, he spits out, well, you know, I stutter. I've got a criminal record. I'm a murderer on the run. Um, I, you know, I'm slow of speech. I don't know what to do. And finally, he just out of panic says, just send somebody else. Have you ever been there? Here am I, Lord. Send the pastor, you know, kind of a thing, right? I mean, it's real, isn't it? You've been there. And God always kind of calls us out of our comfort zone and out of our ability. Because, you know, like if, if there was a sign up at the church, say you're doing like your harvest festival thing. I'm sure you got a bunch of stuff going on and you got sign ups, clipboards and also in the church app. But but you go, you know, hey, we need people to, you know, cook hot dogs. We need people to run the hay ride that don't have hay fever. And we need people to, you know, uh, do face painting and we need people. So you would go back to you scroll through the church app and go, okay, I can cook hot dogs. I've never painted faces, but I do have a roller. I don't know. Maybe I can sign up for that. And you kind of, you know, you kind of, you make all of those decisions of what you could do. Those decisions are made based on your own sense of skill and ability and competence, right? Because you wouldn't go, huh, Oh, I could, you know, I don't know. I could do brain surgery. I have a pocket knife, you know. I mean, you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't, unless maybe you weren't thinking clearly, you know, because you make those decisions based on your own set of competencies and awarenesses, right? But now look at this next question. What could you do for the Lord in your lifetime if, hit me with the next slide, you were not limited by your own ability or lack of ability? 
Like if the potentials was shifted, if you didn't have just your known set of competencies, but you had access to supernatural ability in a dramatic increased way. Well, this is kind of what our subject is about tonight. In fact, we'll read in just a moment of the scriptures. Jesus says you are going to re receive supernatural ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so this is something that's kind of critical. It changes you from being that person that wins 0.8% of a per 80% of a person to the Lord, you know, in your lifetime to limitless possibility, because now you don't have to say yes or no based on your own set of awarenesses, which may or may not be accurate. Like you've ever been around the overcompetent, you know, person on the, you know, whatever, uh, over, and, but they're not really, or the person that has all that skill, but's too shy or too afraid to really let it shine. Now, all of a sudden, God can do anything through your life. And you've had an encounter with him that has solidified in your life that the rules have now changed because the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you in an unprecedented way. And it changes your view. Instead of looking down at the toes of your feet, it casts you to look out and to see the limitless potentials of God. So with this in mind, we're talking tonight about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But often that kind of causes concern and confusion for people because of the term baptized. So let's look at that. Go to the next one if we can just for a minute. So take, take a look at this. So there are two different Christian experiences that share the label baptism. Now, some people get even confused with this because Paul goes, hey, there's only one baptism, but he's talking about one water baptism. And the reason why that was there was because if you remember, John the Baptist baptized people for repentance, but after people were fully saved, they threw out John's water baptism and now adopted the full-on water baptism 2.0 of Jesus. Because there was still some, if you remember the Ephesus passage, they were still trying to do it the old way. And Paul's like, that's obsolete. So that's why he says that. But this term baptism, we normally associate with water baptism. How many have been baptized in water? Okay, so when you're baptized in water, um, first of all, it occurs after salvation. Christian water baptism is only performed after Jesus rose again from the dead on people who themselves have made a profession of faith in Christ. That's why here at C3 Church or whatever it's going to be called, if you, if you bum out and do like C4 Church, I'm going to be mad at you, all right? <laughs> I hope it's really good, you know? Like no cats allowed church or something like that. It's something really, really good. Um, but if you've ever wondered why here, why we don't baptize infants, it's not because, uh, christen them. It's not because we don't believe that it's sinful or necessarily wrong. It's just not the most biblically up-to-date way of doing things. After Jesus rose again from the dead, the only people that were baptized in water in the church were people who themselves had made a profession of faith in Christ. So now from this moment onward, the up-to-date water baptism occurs after salvation, its main point is for identification and obedience. Now, sometimes people throw in this public profession of faith business, and it's not biblically sustainable. Um, sometimes water baptism is public in the Bible, and sometimes it's not. Like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch experienced a private water baptism. So it's just, it's, that one is kind of tenuous. It's like, meh, usually so, but people try to throw that in. That's not really a mandate at one biblically. But the main part, when you get baptized in water, you are identifying with the death, burial, and then resurrection from the dead of Jesus. Deeply important. It doesn't make you any more saved, but it helps crystallize and cement 
your Christian identity. And isn't identity what the enemy always tries to destroy in everyone, right? And so it crystallizes and cements your Christian identity, and it's also an act of obedience because there's some humility involved. You're getting your hair wet, and who knows how clean the water is, and, you know, might be legionnaires in there. Who knows, you know? But you are humbling yourself, and it's symbolic, but it's also helps cement some things for you spiritually. What's the overriding metaphor of baptism? Cleansing, right? You can kind of trace it back the you know, the first time when they passed from Egypt into the promised land through the waters of the Red Sea and that baptism, they didn't get wet, but they passed through. I guess the Egyptians got wet, though, too much. But but it has the idea of that's the first way tracking through. And then the labor where the priests would wash their hands and feet before they served. And then after uh, they came back from uh, Medo-Persian, Babylonian captivity, and they just kind of reset up the temple. They had um, the mikvahs, which are like baptismal pools. If you've ever been to Israel, at the base of the Temple Mount, the southern tier, they're right at where Kidron meets Ben-Hinnom. At the bottom of the Temple Mount, they have all these baptism pools where people would go and kind of ceremonially dip. They wouldn't like loofah or whatever, but just a quick wash before they went in the temple because it showed that, hey, I'm a sinful person, and before I approach a holy God, I need to be cleaned. Now, we don't get baptized in water every time because we've already been cleansed because we've been born again. But that cleansing metaphor is huge there, really, really important. Um, it's commanded by Jesus. And when you're baptized in water, if it's done properly, you get wet. Now, churches fight over how wet, anywhere from high humidity to soaking wet. Like I've been on the, the log raft ride at Dorney Park or whatever it is wet, you know, on some spectrum. And I, I don't think it really, honestly, I don't think it matters all that much in there because the idea is that you're being obedient. Um, wetter the better because the Greek verb bapto means to immerse. It's used to sink a ship, so wetter the better. But there are times, I mean, I've baptized people that have given their lives to Christ on their deathbed. And, you know, it is a little... Spritz of water on them is enough, you know, um, but because you don't want to soak their bed either. But uh, how many don't want to soak your own bed? That's a good thing. So um, you're getting all kinds of wisdom. But water baptism, okay? So water baptism is usually what we think of when we hear the term baptize. But biblically, in the New Testament, there is another normal baptism that takes place. Let's look at that real quick if we can. And that's spirit baptism, our subject. So spirit baptism is something that is not brand new. A lot of people go, well, I've never heard of that, so therefore it hasn't existed until now, which is kind of a funny thing. Spirit baptism is actually first discussed and mentioned way back in the writings of Moses in Numbers eleven twenty nine. It's the first prophecy. Joel is the really clear one in the Old Testament with all kinds of details, Joel 2. And that's, that's actually the scripture Peter uses on the day of Pentecost to explain spirit baptism. Um, Jesus prophesies it, Moses prophesies it, John the Baptist prophesies it, the three greatest prophets of the Bible, Moses in the old, uh, John the Baptist in the new, and Jesus the prophet par excellence, all speak about this. This was the normal practice of the New Testament church. When the apostles were around new converts, they got them saved and then afterwards baptized in water or in the spirit, and a lot of times saved and then baptized in the spirit and then third baptized in water because the order for the second two doesn't matter. But that was the priority of what the apostles did with new converts. And some people go, well, I've never heard of that about that. But you might have missed that Sunday. It's in the Bible. Read it, right? So just like water baptism, spirit baptism occurs after salvation. Spirit baptism is for increased ministry anointing. 
Um, now, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and you experience him primarily for identification and help in those ways, but he also helps us. How many of you can say, since I've been saved, the Holy Spirit's helped me. He's given me the words to say and stuff. When you get baptized in the Spirit, there is a dramatic acceleration of that ministry anointing on your life. Some people make the mistake and say, when you get saved, all you get is like a little portion, a little scoop of the Holy Spirit. But when you get baptized in the Spirit, he backs a U-Haul truck up. and get... But it's not that way at all. It's just more. God is a generous God. How many always want more in your life, right? And even after you're baptized in the Spirit, you can keep on going back and saying, Lord, change my oil. Do it again, right? So this also is commanded by Jesus. Now, a lot of people harp on the water baptism being commanded by Jesus, but spirit baptism is commanded by Jesus twice as much as water baptism is. Not that it's more important, but it's positioned in the apostolic teaching and practice, the teaching of the apostles, as being at the same level of after-salvation discipleship importance for new Christians. And so, so much so, when Paul gets around the new believers in Ephesus, he goes, since you've been saved, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? This is his very first question to them. And so a lot of people think, again, well, I've never heard of that. Um, but it just maybe it was because you missed that Sunday, right? This is important. It doesn't make you more of a Christian. It doesn't move you up in a better neighborhood in heaven or whatever. But it is a sign of your devotion to the Lord, but also your seriousness of, I want to do more from God in my lifetime than my human skill allows. And this really infuses you with power. It changes you from being like a double-A battery spiritually into three-phase, 440-AC Christian, right? You know, and really experiencing that. And then you get drenched in water when you're baptized in water. You get drenched in the Holy Spirit when you get baptized in the Spirit. And there's a little nuance in here that I think is super-duper important. That when, is it okay if I sit down? You're doing it, so, okay. All right. So when... Uh, I have like movers legs, man. We have, we moved all of our junk 1500 miles. My dogs are barking. So I hope you give me some grace. But, um, when, when you're baptized in the spirit, Jesus didn't say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's power comes upon you. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a little nuance that makes a huge difference because this is actually a relational thing. He's not just going, hey, I'm sending you to boot camp, learn how to fire an M16, crawl on your belly through mud and scale a wall, you know, get a crew cut because I want to make you functional for me. But this is an increased part of your sonship and daughtership. This is relational. He, you're encountering not just the Holy Spirit's functional power, which you are, but you're encountering the Holy Spirit himself. And that's beautiful and relational that helps us to grow. And a lot of people will testify after being baptized in the Spirit that their relationship with God takes off in a deeper dimension because you're experiencing God in another dimension. And it's so helpful and so helpful for that. So beyond that, um, I want to ask you, would you stand with me real quick? My points are really, my introduction's a big part tonight. So we're going to read together what the Bible says about being baptized in the Spirit. So we're going to look at a little bit in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. You ready to read out loud, big and bold with me? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hit me the next slide if you would. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, 
he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, our reading is going to stop there. But honestly, this is just barely crossing the threshold of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He has a lifetime of encounter and growth and supernatural help for us, right? Father, thank you for your word. I pray tonight, Lord, that as we just look at your word, face value, that you would speak to us. You would provoke us to new levels of spiritual appetite and hunger. And Lord, that every person in this room would have a fresh encounter with you, Lord Jesus, the only one who can baptize us in the Spirit. Thank you for putting the Spirit to live inside of us from the moment of salvation, and then additionally for clothing us with the Spirit and with His power so that we can be more effective in our lifetime for you, Lord Jesus. Change our lives and stir our hearts. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you would grant this room and the room downstairs with the kids tonight, Lord to be the easiest place on earth for people to encounter you and your power. Thank you for it, Lord. Amen. 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 You can be seated if you like. So I just want to look at real quick four questions, four vital questions about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Let's go to the next one if we can, number one. So big question, what is it? Okay, what is spirit baptism? So a lot of times people kind of, you know, it's just because we're people, but how many of you are people? See, you pulled that again. Okay, right. So, um, but a lot of times people um, get sloppy in terminology and, and words matter. So you'll hear people use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit synonymously. But that little word changes everything. If you say baptism of the Holy Spirit, it becomes an activity of the Holy Spirit, not of Jesus. Baptism in the Holy Spirit keeps it Jesus-focused because Jesus said, I will baptize you. The only person that can baptize you in the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Now, if you're panicking right away, how am I going to remember it? It's a really easy memory tool. You ready? Do you get baptized of water or in water? It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, or water baptism and spirit baptism for, for short. But it always keep, we want to make sure everything's focused on Jesus because everything is, and we want to keep that reference point. So what is spirit baptism? Well, Jesus defines it this way. You as people, remember, he has already died and risen again from the dead. The night of his resurrection, John 20, he appeared behind locked doors, 
and he breathed the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of the apostles. Now, if you're a theological egghead, that's called regeneration. That's the Spirit's work at salvation. Because people couldn't fully be saved in the full New Testament way that we enjoy in its fullest meaning until after Jesus had risen again from the dead. The death of Jesus is not enough to save us. Lots of righteous people have died for good causes, right? But Jesus rose again by the power of the Spirit, proclaiming that he is the Son of God in that way. So now after he rose again, the moment the disciples put their faith in the resurrected Christ, what happened? Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you from the moment of salvation onward. Aren't you glad that Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit into fixer upper temples like you and I, right? But then he tells people that already have the Holy Spirit inside, you are going to receive power. It's kind of cool in the Greek, lambano dunamis. It sounds like uh, an Italian race car driver. And, um, and so the idea, lambano, is to grab with the hand and draw near. And so you have this role in acting. It's not just this passive thing. Jesus is extending the Spirit's power to you, but you have to participate in this. Because a lot of people get super passive. And they're like, well, if God wants to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. He knows where I sit in my assigned seat in church. You know, on row seven, seating section two, seat three, the cushion is conformed to my contours after all these years, you know, and it's where I spilled my coffee in the chair next to me. And, you know, I, I, and if Lord, if you want to do it, just come and get me. But if you have that kind of passive approach with God, you kind of live on spiritual lowest common denominators. You get what you go after in the things of God. And some people misunderstand and they think, well, you know, you know, so-and-so, they were born with a spiritual silver spoon in their mouth and they whatever, but, you know, I'm just, I'm a first-generation Christian and I'm this, that. But if you were here the first couple of nights, we talked about Samuel, and you'll read in the scriptures that Samuel's spiritual potential was the same as Eli and his sons. But Eli the priest and his sons didn't go after God. Samuel did, and Samuel far surpassed them spiritually. And not like it's a race to surpass, but... <clears throat> We can't use our own autobiography as a limitation on our life. God loves to lift people up out of the miry clay, doesn't he? Matter of fact, some of you may need that if you parked in the meadow tonight. And so he says, you're going to receive power. The word power in the Greek is dunamis. You've heard that before. But, and you might have heard that um, that's where we get our word dynamite from, which is probably irrelevant because dynamite would not be invented for 700 years in the future. So thankfully, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to blow anybody up, right? <laughs> But that's not really the idea there, this explosive power. It doesn't have anything to do with that. The word dunamis in the Greek is the idea of miraculous power. Actually, the word dunamis is used for one of the gifts of the Spirit, workings of miracles, energema dunamis. It's the same idea. The idea is above and beyond you power. Yeah. That second question, what could you do for the Lord in your life if you had limitless power from him? That's that word. You as a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit in you. You're going to receive an amplification of supernatural power when the Spirit comes upon you, clothes you, and then you're going to be my witnesses. Now, for us, we right away read that word witnessing, and that's a thing for us as American Christians. Yeah, right. Here, read this tract, you're going to hell. Here, read this tract, you're going to hell. Here, read this tract, you're going to hell, you know. And maybe it's one of those super condemning chick tracks, like the gunslinger's the worst. Here you go. It makes people really feel bad. And you're going, or, you know, knocking on doors. And, it's, and, and God does use tracks. I'm not, and maybe some of you were saved because God uses all these things. But for us, witnessing is a thing. You go and do this thing. But, and that's legit. Evangelism is actually what it's called. But 
this word witnesses is actually a legal term. It's not the thing that we think, here you go, you know, that thing. It's not evangelism, so to speak. It's bigger than that. It is you have firsthand pertinent, relevant information about the identity of Jesus. Right? So it's not like memorizing a script. It's just telling people who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. I hope you keep that in your pocket. Um, it's a really easy thing to do, like across the gas pumps or when you're riding in an elevator with people. You're not going to see them again anyway. You might as well mug them spiritually. And so you go, you know, hey, man, this is the best day of my life, you know, whatever. And they go, why is that? They, you know, oh, because this is God's made himself real and he's done this or healed me or, you know, restored my marriage or whatever it is, set me free. I used to be a demon-possessed Cowboys fan and now he's brought me into the light. And, you know, I'm still in the <laughs> NFC, but I'm an Eagles fan now. And, you know, whatever it is. And. And you're able to have a couple of those things that God has done in your heart that are very real. You have them handy. Maybe some different realms of the ways helped you. You don't need to get in a big, drawn-out story. But just ways, I know it's true. I've experienced it. That's what that means. You're going to be my spirit-empowered witness telling people everywhere. Jerusalem, the city where they were in. Judea is the province. It's like saying Fogelsville and then Lehigh County. And then... Um, in Samaria, and that's like a lot of conflict between Israel and Samaria, the divided kingdom, and they had their own temple, and they didn't like each other, and there's like a lot of bad blood. Who's that for you guys here? Probably Jersey. And so, you know, or whatever, I don't know. And, and, but the idea is God's going to take you out of your comfort zone. I want him to do more in your life than our puny context allows. This is a great reason why I invite every person in this room before you die to go on a couple missions trips somewhere. Even if it's just going to like, you know, you can't swing with vacation days and finances to go to, you know, Alderaan or whatever. Instead, you're like, well, maybe we can, I can go to some impoverished place in West Virginia and help out there. Or I can go whatever. But you get involved out of context. You'll find you will naturally, when you don't feel your normal security blanket, you naturally depend on the Holy Spirit more and more miraculous things happen. That's kind of a cool, a cool dynamic going on. I don't know your church sets up those things periodically throughout Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So spirit baptism is all about externalizing through Holy Spirit power the work of God in your life to affect other people. It goes back to those first questions. Question number two. That was a long one. Here's the short ones. Number two. Um, I've forgotten. Who can receive spirit baptism? In a few moments, uh, we'll be coming forth. The phlebotomist will draw blood. We're, we we're going to centrifuge. We're going to spin it out and see who has the right amount of blood levels to be worthy enough to receive this. And uh, we'll do a little Ancestry.com. And well, now, I mean, this is so easy. If you are saved, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, if you're saved, you are qualified. I don't know about you. I'm not qualified for very much, you know. Um, Maybe make a sandwich, maybe not, honestly, you know, I mean, it, um, but if you are saved, you're qualified to be baptized in the spirit, even if you don't feel worthy or ready. Yeah. He's here to help us. That's how good he is. He supplies the difficult part. Even if you, you know, you're even doubting God or you're in a time of discouragement or whatever, Jesus wants to help you. And oftentimes, if you'll just draw near and approach him, he'll really help you. And he also likes to supersize every order if you let him. And he'll kind of do more than just baptize you in the spirit. He might heal you of this or help you with that or set you free from that because he's just that generous. So if you're saved, that's the only qualification. And if you're not, 
You can be in just a few moments when we lead in that prayer, all right? Number three, what is the sign confirming spirit baptism? Honestly, this is what weirds people out because this is outside of the scope of normal human experience. And if I were God, aside from blowing up the universe eons ago, because I don't know what I'm doing, um, I would have talked some sense to myself and picked something that's sensible that's not a barrier for people, you know? Like when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then your pockets fill with $100 bills. Man, everybody would want to be filled with the Spirit. Or when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, all of a sudden your crow's feet dissolve, your cellulite disappears, your hair darkens, you get to, you know... Uh, if that was the case, man, you got a holy facelift, all of California would want to be saved, you know? We were, we were at a church in Southern Cal a couple of years ago, and, and there was, like, more work done in that church. Like, the people couldn't even smile. I mean, they were so, like, Botoxed out. Everybody had, like, duck lips and whatever. And, like, I, it's just, I was like, come on, man. That's a lot of money, and you kind of... I mean, no offense, I don't see anybody that's obvious there except for pastor. And so, um, but um, it's like, shoot, man, that's a lot of money, man, you know? And, um, and so, but like there's some churches that we've been at over the years where like if the trumpet of the Lord would sound, you know, only the organic material ascends. So there, the church would be filled with like knee deep full of silicone in that church, you know? It's like, good gravy, you know? But um, for whatever reason, God in his wisdom selected a sign to confirm spirit baptism that has a, a linear and functional association with it and also serves to be a pride stumbling block, yeah. right? So and he's smarter than we are, right? So the, the linear functional part is this whole thing is about receiving a, an anointing and empowering to say the things he wants you to say. So a verbal sign would always be the case there. But in the Old Testament, whenever God commissioned prophets, we read about some of those, Samuel and Isaiah on the first night. But when he would move upon them, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would begin to prophesy, which is to say what God wants you to say in the language you understand, right? But at that point in the Bible, all of the attention and focus of God in his ministry was upon the people of Israel, Gentiles were prophesied about, but there was only, you know, a few stragglers, Naaman and a couple others, but Rahab and a couple others like that. But just a few is really the attention there. But all of a sudden you hit Isaiah and he goes, hey, one day the islands of the sea, the people outside of the you know, Jewish nation and everyone. And you start seeing the heart of God missiologically now opening up. So now when Christians receive this prophetic power, it's in the language outside of their known language displaying the vastness of the kingdom of God, displaying that God wants to take you out of your comfort zone. And also because it's unprecedented in your life, it's a brand new sign to you. But it does require you to say, Lord, I'm going to allow you to color outside of my lines. Now, people have all these kind of ideas before it happens. I, I had it all figured out before it happened for me. You guys might have actually been at camp with me when it happened. For me, it was August 19, 1983 at Camp Saginaw, Courier's Camp. You might have been there. I don't know. You think you were campers in 1983? I'm, I'm a lot older, aren't I? But we're, okay, all right. So, yeah, but we went to camp together. Um, but, um, yeah, so I was, I was 12 years old. You can do the math. I was 12 years old, and... I had it all figured out. I thought, I'm just going to be sitting there, and then God's going to tase me, and then I'm going to be unconscious, and I'm going to 
start floaty, I'm kind of going to be a little high, and then I'm going to see heffalumps and woozles, and, you know, and then Jesus is going to, like, take out a lightsaber and, like, dub me, and I'm going to be all floaty and, you know, whatever. I had, I thought it was, like, going to be some kind of a drug trip or something like that. Very passive where Jesus just kind of sneaked behind you with the chloroform rag of the Holy Spirit and took you down, you know, kind of a thing. But I was surprised that instead he didn't make me speak in the language of the Spirit. He only led me to do so. And I had to participate in it. And a lot of times before, you know, like people get super belligerent. Well, if God wants me to do it, he's going to have to make me. Well, then you're probably not going to receive because that's, I mean, he can, but that's usually not what he does biblically. You know, and that kind of belligerent stuff is usually symptomatic of kind of other yucky stuff in our heart, which we've all had before. But Jesus made sure to put it in the Bible that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word filled their pimplomai in the Greek, which sounds like a skin condition, but it's not. Um, but it has the idea of like for us filled as interior. But that word, that word is like saturated, drenched is kind of the idea. Overflowed, waterlogged, gully washed with the Holy Spirit. And those people began speaking in other languages, other heteros, another of a different kind, language glossa, as the Holy Spirit gave them, as the Holy Spirit made them, no, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability or the urging or the prompting. And you're going to experience this in a moment as you begin to pray and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to feel the urge to speak, but you're not going to feel intellectually confident that you have enough prompting to actually try it out. Okay? Because he doesn't make you, he doesn't satisfy your brain, he stirs your heart. And so I want you to know in a moment, if you're praying to Jesus for something he promised you in the Bible, and you pray to the point where he is pouring out the Spirit upon you, and then you begin to get leadings, follow the breadcrumbs. It's not presumptuous. People go, well, I don't want it to be me. Well, if someone else's voice comes out of your mouth, you got a problem, right? <laughs> That's when we get the deacons around you with the WD-40 cans and the garlic necklaces on and stuff like that. No, that's not going to happen. It will be your voice. It will be you choosing to participate in the activity of the Spirit. Just look. All he does is prompt you, urge you, give you the ability. You have to partner with it and discover. That means that on our side, it very well may feel like I'm taking a big risk and I'm afraid I might make a mistake only because you've never done it before. But that's kind of the feelings you may have. And I don't feel like I have enough, whatever. You may just be aware of a sound or a syllable, or you may not be aware of any data at all, but just the urging. Just try to give yourself to God in those moments, and you'll find all of a sudden his help will come right alongside you. Just like Peter didn't know he could walk on the water until he got his foot out of the boat and stepped on the surface and all of a sudden discovered that Jesus was enabling him, he's going to help you too. Then number four, I forget the question. Let's discover it together. Oh, how do I receive? Okay, so super easy. Um, so the Bible doesn't go, hey, there's these three bullet points, but we do see out of the five accounts in the book of Acts where believers are baptized in the Spirit, we see that there are some common threads. In fact, the real detailed ones, Acts 2, 10, and 19, all have these same steps in there. So it really is a good pathway for us usually. So go to the next one. Let's look at that. So we have... Um, and a matter of fact, if you just want to stay on that slide and leave it up during the altar, people can respond. And do some of the musicians want to come back up? We won't do any singing, but I'd love to have you play. In fact, I was thinking maybe some Beatles. I was kind of thinking like Yellow Submarine would be good, okay? Um, so here's the pathway to receive. People in the book of Acts were drawing near to Jesus in prayer. The normal way people receive from God is through prayer. 
and through you and I praying, and probably none of us think we're really good at praying, like we're not on the Olympic prayer team or whatever, but prayer is not judged on what we judge, like grammar and theology. Good prayer is when you call out to Jesus. Bad prayer is when you either don't call out to Jesus or you call out to some other deity. Is that easy? Because God always hears your heart. He has his wisdom. He's not like a lot of people are afraid. What if I pray the wrong thing? Because like the elders in heaven are actually lawyers and they're going to sue me and whatever. Hey, you hear that Jesus? They prayed for a bigger house. But kind of the way they phrased it, let's send them to the big house for a little while to teach him a lesson to pray better. You know, it's not like that. Um, you're going to feel kind of awkward and clunky. Prayer typically starts out that way. You're probably more aware of, I got to get to bed, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And, um, but if, if you'll just take a few minutes, it doesn't take long, just take a few, set aside 10 minutes, and just begin to draw near to God and lower your guard and get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And I encourage you to pray out loud. I mean, don't scream or yell or whatever, but lift your voice enough that maybe you could hear it so it kind of punches your own pride in its face a little bit, you know? Allow yourself to be vulnerable and draw near. Just start praying. And, and then when you begin to become aware of God's presence, just ask Jesus to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. You're gonna sense number two happening. Jesus will indeed respond to you by pouring out his Spirit. That's like in the book of Esther when the king extended his scepter towards her. You'll sense he's welcoming you. And honestly, from that moment, from the moment you're praying and the spirit is upon you, you can actually discover that new language and the whole business. It's there for you. You just have to kind of lower your guard and go after it. So that's where step number one is something only we can do. Step number two is something only Jesus can do. But step number three is something we do together with the Holy Spirit. We begin to speak out loud from the inner urging, which sounds super vague, but it will come for you, rather than your known language and, and speech and reason. And so in order to have that happen, you have to know ahead of time, let me ask you this question. How many mouths do you have? Now, I know some people kind of break that and they speak out of both sides, but that's not what we're talking about. But that means when the Holy Spirit is upon you, you are going to have to take a choice a moment when you sense him washing over, you put your foot down, stop speaking, spit English or Spanish or whatever you know out of your mouth, um, and take a deep breath and try to give yourself to God. It feels presumptuous. Now, what, you're, what is normally going to happen is you're just going to keep on speaking. Oh, Lord, I love you. Thank you. Praise you. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But your known language and reason will always push to the side the language of the Spirit and so I challenge you, pray like the house is on fire in your known language. When you sense the Spirit coming upon you, intentionally stop speaking, quiet down. Your job is not to connect thoughts with language, with, you know, expression. Your job is instead, just like you put money in the offering, to put your voice and your sound and the ability to speak. And you're going to find the Holy Spirit's going to start nudging. You're going to feel a little risky. You're going to have legit feelings like, oh, what if I get this wrong, you know? Um, but you're not praying to the devil. You're praying to Jesus for something he promised for you. And he has confirmed to you. He's extended his scepter to you by you having a new awareness of the spirit washing over. You start getting promptings. Go for it. It's not like you're trying something without God's permission, like you're trying to hack his hard drive. You're going through the front door and he's saying, come on in, you're welcome. And he's starting to urge you. He never gives you enough to satisfy your curiosity, but he always gives you enough to act a little more than you are right now, right? And so the whole time he's tutoring you and mentoring you on how to draw near and listen 
and find what he wants you to say. You are receiving power to be a witness. So then tomorrow when you're at the store or whatever and you know you need to talk to that person or at work, but you just don't know what to say, you do the same thing. You just quietly kind of on the download, just draw near to Jesus. When you sense the spirit upon you, you start listening where he's moving and you follow those promptings. He's not going to make you speak in tongues to those people, but he's given you that sign tonight so that tomorrow you can be confident he's going to guide your words to speak to other people. He wants to baptize us in the spirit. So would you stand up with me tonight? Take a big old stretch, reach for the sky, rock up on your toes, all right? And then reach as far back as you can, put your hands flat on the ground, and then, all right, you got it, all right? I can't do it either. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. You're so good. Come on, would you just begin to speak out loud some good things about Jesus? Lord, you've changed my life. There's none like you, Lord. I love you so much. You've been so faithful and so good for all my life, like that song says. I'm just so thankful for your goodness. Jesus, you're the Son of God. I don't just want your power so I can have an encounter, although I do long to encounter you. But I want your power so that I can be more effective and fulfill your will for my life. There's only so much I can do with my own wisdom and ability, and I need you, Lord. Jesus, your Savior, your healer, you are alone, spirit baptizer. And I want to know you in that way. Would you reveal yourself to us, Lord? Tonight, I pray every person in this room and every kid downstairs would experience you in this way, the one who empowers and drenches us in your Holy Spirit. Just like when we got baptized in water, we got soaked in water. Would you soak every one of us in your Holy Spirit tonight? Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it, Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to invite those that want to experience this for the first time to get out of their seats, and you can come to the front. We don't have a lot of room, um, which is a great problem. You guys have a lot of good problems here. Um, but And we'll allow everywhere else in the room to be for people that are just going to go after God for a fresh encounter. You've already experienced spirit baptism. We have some really caring prayer partners that will sneak up here in just a moment. But I just want to make sure that we give an opportunity for people to find Christ. How many believe giving your life to Jesus is the most important spiritual thing that can ever happen? This, well, our subject tonight has no meaning whatsoever for you if your name is not written in heaven's book. And so if you already know Jesus, would you just quietly begin to intercede, maybe for someone in this room or certainly for people that you know and love that maybe aren't here that need Jesus, this would be a great time to intercede. But tonight, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you're in the right spot. This is the reason why you're here. We always try in our own ability to try to right ourselves and all that. But, you know, you get to that spot pretty quickly where you realize you can't do that. Sin is a spiritual problem, and spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. And he is here tonight to make himself real, to help us. And tonight, if you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not living in a right relationship with God, but I want to. I want to invite you just to wave a hand at me. Or if you're online, you can pop a comment up. Hey, I want to give my life to Jesus, and we'd love to pray with you. All right? Anybody? I don't see any hands, but that doesn't mean that's exactly what's going on. I'm always going to lead in a, in a prayer. But um, in fact, when I lead in this prayer, if you already know Jesus, you're not allowed to follow me. Instead, for the next 30 seconds, if you already know Jesus, how many already know Jesus? Give me a wave, okay? Here's your assignment. Out loud, I want you to pray your own fresh prayer of repentance and cleansing. So when we come to these altars, we're ready to go. Sound like a deal? Okay, so I just loose you to begin to do that. Out loud, though, don't do a silent. If you pray a silent prayer, pray your car doesn't start, all right? All right. If you want to receive Christ, 
You can just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your one and only Son and that no one else can save me from my sin but Jesus alone. And Lord, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've even sinned against myself. And I cannot fix that. But you can. Savior, would you save me? Would you wash me clean from the inside out? I welcome your Holy Spirit to live inside of me from this day forward. I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to the enemy. But I belong to you, King Jesus. Rule and reign my life from this day forward. Thank you for it, Lord. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.